0: thank you enough we can never praise you enough for jesus and it's our desire that he be lifted up and magnified in our hearts and lives tonight in jesus name amen amen you may be seated well good evening everyone isn't it good to be in church on a tuesday night you know, the weather outside is frightful the temperature in here is so delightful someone ought to write a song similar to that praise the lord so we're just so on thrilled to have you here tonight and uh, um, let's go ahead and open our to second timothy chapter two we'll just go ahead and dive right in the purpose of our tuesday night is to do a little bit more deeper teachings in the word of god um, things that you won't necessarily teach on on sunday morning uh, sunday morning you have people of All various spiritual levels and growth. I mean, you have people that they're the visiting or maybe just started to visit and aren't aren't born again yet. You have baby Christians, um, a lot of children and so forth. But then uh, uh, even uh, Sunday morning, you have your immature people that won't miss a service like you here. This is the mature folks. Amen. And so, you know, everybody's at different spiritual levels. And so Sunday morning, you have to kind of keep it basic. What I call I serve soup on Sunday morning. Now, mine may be a little bit more stewy than most, but I I, I do serve soup. But on Tuesday night, this is where we really uh, steep into the Word of God and really get into some things that uh, it, it takes maturity to to digest. I mean, you know, you get a nice filet mignon or piece of steak. You just can't feed it to a baby. Uh, you know, unless you chop it up really really good, but. Bless God, give an adult a piece of, of meat like that, and man, they're, they're ready to, to have good eats. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have some good eats here tonight. And so we've been on the uh, subject, what I've called matters of eternity and security. We're looking at Bible doctrines that affect our eternal destination. And I've chosen for a golden text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 15 Which applies to anything that we're studying where it says study To show yourself approved unto God so we need to study a workman that needeth not to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. So here we are to study the word actually there's three things We ought to be doing word number one. We ought to be reading the word and I encourage everyone to read the Bible I tell my mentoring group to read the Bible from Matthew to Revelation over and over and over again. Uh, that is more reading is more of the milk of the word, but also it gets you a, a general understanding of the word and it gives the Holy Ghost something to recall to your remembrance. That's the ministry of the Holy Ghost. He called all things that Jesus or the Father said. And so of course if you don't haven't put it in, you can't bring it to your remembrance. So we need to read the word. And of course we're big on meditating on the word. That's how you grow spiritually meditation is like chewing the word and uh, you know meat needs to be chewed and that will cause great spiritual growth but the third application is study especially if you're in the ministry um, and especially if you want to be used of God you ought to you don't know what you ought to know what the Bible says you know you can read the Bible you can meditate in the Bible have no idea what the Bible says And so study will cause you to understand the Bible, especially if you're in the ministry, and to be able to help others. And we looked at scriptures that tell us that we ought to be skillful enough to help those that have differing views and opinions. Uh, So many Christians uh, have no idea what the Bible says, and if the door knocker comes two by two, uh, the door knockers know more about the Bible than most Christians do, and that ought not to be, and so we need to study the Word. And so... We're studying the word on matters of eternity and security. Uh, Things, doctrines, teachings in the Bible that have to do with eternal things, eternal destinations, and uh, we've covered predestination, and we we, we looked at that. We looked at eternal security. Uh, That's a, a big doctrine that many people believe, you know, once saved, always saved, and we looked at that scripturally. And we put balance to it. If you're newer with us, we encourage you to go on the archives, whether on our website or on Facebook, and look at these, because we we took time in the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about these doctrines. Then we looked at blaspheming the Holy Ghost, and we saw that was a sin that a Christian cannot commit. Now, why it important for us to study that is because Satan will use scriptures like this to bring people in bondage. I know when I was a baby Christian, you know, when I said something Uh, wrong or, or negative about a prayer meeting that I didn't understand. You know, Satan told me I blasphemed the Holy Ghost and I was in bondage because I didn't know the word and so we looked at that. But then we did look at the impartable sin that a Christian commit, what it was. And yes, we taught you how to commit the impartable sin. And so as a Christian, if you want to go to hell, right here at Family Church, we told you how to go to hell. Now, we don't recommend it. Uh, we tried to avoid it, but it can be done. The scriptures are very clear. Again, the whole Bible. And we saw in the mouth of two or three witnesses. That is a law. We're not to believe anything in the Bible unless Jesus, Jesus said this, Paul said this, God says this, unless it's two or three times in the Bible. And there's over five places in the New Testament that talks about how one can lose their salvation. And it's put in the Bible for a purpose. Now, it's harder than. than uh, Than uh, most people believe but it can be done and we looked at the steps then uh, we looked at the sin unto death and what that entails then we we spent several weeks looking at the topic of backsliding or backsliders and I think this is so important because there's a whole lot of people uh, backsliding the Bible says in last days many will depart from the faith and so that would be considered backsliding to fall back from the faith and how does god view them are they eternally lost are they going to hell are they going to heaven and i i believe those things are important so we, we looked scripturally how god not how we see it because you know remember the the story of the prodigal son you know many of us are like the older brother doom gloom and agony damn them to hell well that wasn't the father's heart and so but we did look at it and we did see what god will do if a backslider will not repent you know, God gives them a space in his goodness. Behold the goodness and severity of God. God will continue to bless and reach out and do good things for a backslider. And he gives them a space to repent. But if they don't choose that space, you know, then they, they have to go the hard way. God will have to judge them. And why will God judge them? That way their, their spirit will not be condemned in the world. And again two or three witnesses, several places. It makes mention uh, certain things. Judgment has to take place, and that way they're not condemned with the world. That way their soul will not be lost. Again, in the New Testament. And so last time we were together, of course, Reverend Grandy Greer was with us uh, last week, and man, we had some great, great services. And so, But last time we were here, we, we picked up, and it does, it's, it does go along with matters of eternity and security, but I'm giving it another title. We began to look at the topic of judgments. For those of you visiting and newer, aren't you glad you came tonight? We're talking about judgment. (laughs) Amen. Now, why study judgment? Why, Why look at it? Number one, it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, we need to know about it. And we have to understand the whole Bible is true, not just the scriptures we claim and we quote. Now, thank God for claiming quoting scriptures. I do that. And, you know, all the promises of God are yes and amen. But if it's in the Bible, it is true. And if God puts stuff about judgment, it's for us to know about. And that, again, that's why we need to read the whole Bible, study the Bible. Um, and then, number two, to, how to how to face judgment properly or how to properly judge ourselves uh, and also how to avoid unnecessary judgment and so there, there are uh, there are judgments uh, Randy Greer was here he quoted that scripture that judgment must first begin where in the house of God if it begins with us what's going to happen to the rest of the world so there, there is judgment that applies to the church and uh, we saw this, and we begin with this. There are three judgments every believer will face. Again, these are for the believers and not for unbelievers. There, there are three judgments. Judgment begins at the house of God. Begins with us, and so it's important to know. And again, uh, you can go to churches and they never talk about this stuff. Now, um, you know, Randy Greer was here. And again, we referred to him. You know, he started talking about the stuff I teach on all the time. And he says, no one teaches us anymore. I want to reason I do. I do. I do all the time. <laughs> Why? It's in the Bible, especially in these last days. Much is said about people falling away from the faith. The, the, the love of many will wax cold and so forth. And, uh, uh, and there's a lot of doctrines out there that, that may... That say peace and safety to you you know you, you can live any way you want you can do anything with your life God don't care because it's only the grace but you know that's not what the Bible says we are saved by grace but once we're saved we're in ordained unto God to good works we ought to be producing good works and there are judgments uh, for violating uh, you know God's commandments and so we're looking at these things and we covered the two of the three judgments Number one, the first judgment every believer will face, and all of us here already have faced this, is that we are judged in Christ. What does that mean? When Jesus died and rose again, our sins were judged. His sacrifice was our sacrifice. Uh, a friend of mine posted this during Easter, and I loved it. Uh, uh, he posted this, Jesus was judged, though he were me so I could be judged though I was him and I like that and see that judgment took place on the cross we we were deemed sinners separated eternally damned and in God's goodness and God's justice Jesus became our sin our sickness and not only became it he was judged went to the place of suffering for us paid the price for us and The court of high heaven is is declared us redeemed, redeemed from sin, sickness, poverty, death, every vile thing of the curse. And all of heaven's blessings have become legally ours. It has been decreed. We've been judged. A settlement has been made by the high court of heaven. You know, and again, this was not something we did for God. This is something God did for us in Christ. And, uh, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. And so this is something that through the goodness and grace of God. And then everything heaven has to offer is ours. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in places. Not going to be half been when that was that was a settlement that was a judgment made two thousand years ago and when we we got born again we were judged in christ and that's why everything that heaven has to offer is ours not based on our works not based on our performance it's been settled If, if you want to Uh, Maybe court and received a settlement and they gave you a million dollars and it's it's been settled It's been put in your bank. You need you don't need to beg for it. You don't need to prove yourself worthy of it It's been given to you and all you need to do is is access What is rightfully yours same thing in Christ? But then we began to look at the goodies so uh, We we saw there's a judgment in Christ but there's also a self-judgment or judging ourselves being judged in Christ is something that God did for us judging ourselves is something we do for God now do we have chapter and verse for this of course we do first Corinthians 11 31 through 32 and again this is in the New Testament and we saw it's important to rightly divide the word. There's only three groups of people. There's the Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God. And it's important to know who God is talking to and how God deals with one of these three groups. And, of course, this is 1 Corinthians written to Christians. And it says this, For if we, meaning Christians, would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord and notice this, that we should not be condemned with the world. Again, just if you're newer with this, one of the references, that judgment has to take place. If we won't judge ourselves, God will judge us. Why? That way we're not condemned with the world. We won't be lost like a lost person. Again, very clear in the New Testament. And so, here it tells us there is a judgment. What judgment? We are to judge ourselves. Now, what what is this? Is this is our... to make sure we're worthy to scrutinize ourselves, to beat ourselves in the back, uh, to, to see how unfit and unworthy we are. No, that judgment was done in Christ. Jesus, God judged us worthy in Christ. And I, I don't think most of us realize how, how secure our, our judgment is in Christ. I remember when Ken e. Hagan was caught up to heaven to saw Jesus first time when he saw Jesus face to face looked in his eyes he fell on his face before God before Jesus no one is so unworthy as I am to behold your face and Jesus got mad at him and said stand up on your feet for I have made you worthy my blood has made you worthy why he was judged in Christ so so this this self-judgment isn't you know to, to beat ourselves on the back we're so unworthy we don't deserve anything. Um, but what, what is the self-judgment on? Well, Hebrews 12.1 tells us this. And again, I'm doing a review, adding a few things to it. It says, therefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, Christians, lay aside every weight and the sin that thus so easily beset us and run the race with patience that is set before us. And so we understand this. We all have a race to run. We have a, the will of God to do for our lives. This is God's plan. And there are two things that will cause us not to run a race or not to complete our race. What are they? Based on this, there are sins and there are weights. Now, what is a sin? The definition of sin, you look it up in the original language, sin simply means to miss the mark. Miss the standard God said thou shall not lie you lie you miss the mark by lying thou shall not kill if you kill you miss the mark you know and so sin is a violation of the known commandments of God and uh, that will keep us from running our race also we saw the sin is a violation of our conscience and and sometime I need to do some teaching on conscience it is a standard by which we are judged it's our moral guide and uh even, even the lost world will be judged by their conscience of what they know of God and so um, having sin in our lives a violation of conscience will, will hinder our, our race but also we saw there are weights now what is a weight well a weight is not necessarily a sin but something that weighs you down spiritually that hinders you from running your race what what determines what a weight is well experience will tell you, you know, that something may just not be helping. If you're walking with the Lord, you ought to know what helps you and what hurts you. John Wesley said this, uh, worldliness is anything that cools my affection for God. And so, you know, he he judged weight by anything that doesn't allow me to draw closer to God, something that, that keeps me from walking closely to God. And so, um, What's weight to one person may not be a weight to another, depending on the race, uh, on the plan of God, what may be a weight to me, and I shared some of mine, you know, God may not deal with you about. God may be dealing with you to something that isn't a weight to me, and the Bible says we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's not to get in, but how we run our race, the, the, these weights, and so this is what he's talking about, to judge ourselves, sin and weights, that way we can run our race. Now, how do we judge ourselves of these sins and weights? We looked at 1 John 1, 7 through 9. We don't need to turn there. The first thing we need to do is acknowledge it. Uh, And that's why it's important to to acknowledge it. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. I mean, you you have to acknowledge it. If you don't acknowledge it and you just kind of sweep it under the rug and act like it's not there, you're you're not dealing with it. With that, and so uh, if it's a sin, the first thing you do is say, "God, I sinned," or if it's a weight, said, "Lord, this, this thing is not helping me. I, I know this that this is weighing me down. Just acknowledge it, then, then you know, confess it to God. Say, God, forgive me, forgive me of missing the mark. Forgive me, help me, help me with this weight. You know, and so you know, and, and there's something that you can't seem to overcome. That's where the Bible says you come to the throne of grace. And I wish we had time to look at it again. It talks about coming boldly to the throne of grace. And notice what it says, to obtain mercy. You know, a lot of times, and, and in the context, it talks about being tempted to sin, you know, maybe given into to sin. It's when you're tempted to sin, given to sin, that's when we ought to come boldly for, for mercy and grace. How many know naturally we want to we hide, we want to fix our problems, and once we fix our problems, then we'll have confidence towards God that's why it's important to know the word that God wants to help us you know if we're struggling and and so forth and so we've already looked at two judgments we were judged in Christ we are to judge ourselves now the third judgment that every believer will face is the judgment seat of Christ you've heard me talk about this again Randy Greer says no one teaches this I raised my hand and said, yes, we teach about this all the time. And so you guys are way beyond the norm and the curve. You know, you probably could teach this better than I can, refer to the Scriptures. And again, why do we teach this? It's in the Bible. Many, many places. Not only is the Bible, this is something we all are going to face. And again, I, I, I would like to be prepared for this Rather than to stand before God, stand before Jesus, and, and didn't know. Live my life not knowing that I'm going to give an account to Him. You know, and, and so we, we want to be well prepared. You know, I tell the story about two kinds of teachers. There are good teachers and a bad teacher. A bad teacher, Monday morning, you come in, you, you're barely making class on time, you're starting the week, and they have this this... This uh, evil grin on their face and said, this morning we're going to have a pop quiz. And, you know, the panic, the terror, uh, the, the heart palpitations, the sweat. You didn't know about it, you weren't prepared for it, and you usually didn't do very well. So those are bad teachers. A bad pastor never talks about these things. And then their sheep stand before God, living their lives never aware that one day they'll give an account before God. And, uh, but we'd have these good teachers. Same Monday morning, we'd come and says, Friday, we're going to have a test. And all week, guess what we're going to do? We're going to review the test, get ready for the test. And all during the week, they say, You may want to remember this. You may want to do this, and so forth. And, you know, when Friday came, man, you were looking forward. You were looking forward to it because you had the answers. And so I was caught up to heaven. March 26 2006 by special presentation Lord and Lord said I am coming soon get ready repeat that twice and so I knew that was my marching orders not only get myself ready but to get the church ready and these are part of the things of getting ready to stand before the Lord and so um, we're going to look at the judgment seat of Christ Now, this judgment seat of Christ is also referred to the Bema seat. So whenever you hear judgment seat of Christ or Bema seat, B-E-M-A, seat of Christ, it's referring to the same thing. Now, I prefer the term Bema seat uh, because uh, that's how, in the original language, when you see the judgment seat, it actually says Bema seat of Christ, and in the the. The mindset of the early church—they understood that—and it's a little different from our court systems today, because you know we have courtrooms and they primarily deal with guilt or not guilty, liable or not liable, uh, and they'll do some settlements. But um, the Bema seat uh, did handle some of that, but it handled so much more. And and again, this Bema seat does not. It is not a judgment seat whether you get to heaven or not, and we're going to see that. The reason we get to heaven is because of our first judgment. We were judged in Christ, worthy of heaven, worthy to be a citizen. We become sons and daughters of God. But the beamless seat, you look this up, and the early Christians understood when Paul said beamless seat, it was an elevated platform. Even old churches Uh, they used to have elevated, they used to be way up there when they taught because a Bema seat was usually elevated among the people because there were no PA systems, and that way everyone, if there's hundreds of thousands of people, could see the person in the Bema seat and and possibly hear them. And uh, the Bema seat, yes, it was a a tribunal where where judgments were settled, but it it also did a lot more. It, It was not like this. It was a welcoming post those that entered into the city so when people came in the city it was at this seat that they they were welcomed and so you'll you'll see all of these things in the scriptures now I know you get a lot of a lot of um, cartoons and, and stories about Saint Peter being at the gate there's no scripture about that there isn't but but you, you do see a Bema seat. You know, and, and who's going to welcome you into heaven? Jesus is. And so uh, the Bema seat is a, is a place of welcoming. It's also a place where favors and rewards were given. It, it also was a ceremonial seat for ceremonies. All of these elements can be found in the Bible concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and our standing before him. So that's why I like the Bema Seat, because, you know, we, we look at our court systems, and they are so corrupt. <laughs> Randy Greer was, was telling me he got sued one time for something ridiculous, and the, the, the attorney attacked him ruthlessly and just told lies in court, and that's and, and you know and of course him being the next convict knew that he said oh, just about every attorney he knew lied flat lied to the judge you know and, and just very corrupt and how I many you know that that there is no corruption in God's Bema seat and Jesus Bema seat and so these things are, are true and so let's look at the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ again the rule of two or three witnesses if there's only one place In the Bible that mentions it you know it could be or not be but uh, we're going to give you several several witnesses and so let's start with the book of Romans chapter 14 it's always been my my favorite starting point again it's in the Bible written to Christians Romans 14 and verse 10 but why doth I love the King James or why do you judge your brother Or why do you set it not, your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, and again this is referred to in the Old Testament as well, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So many goodies in every one of these things. First of all, it greatly encourages us not to judge our brother. Yes. We know Jesus taught that. Judge not lest you be judged. The same measure you meet shall be measured unto you. But it tells us why we shouldn't be judging our brother. Because you may be acting to judge your brother, but you got to judge. And you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it said every one of us will. And you look that word in the Greek, That judgment seat, you'll see it, it's it's Bema's seat. Now, what does this verse tell us about the Bema's seat? Verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So we're not to judge anybody. Why? Because we're all going to stand before the judge. Who's that judge? Jesus, the Bema's seat, the judgment seat. And what's going to happen there? We are going to give ourselves, our account of ourselves to God. Now, when it says God, how I many you know God is triune? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And actually, each one can be referred to God here I mean, in the Bible, but here it's referring to Jesus because it is the judgment seat of Christ, not the judgment seat of God the Father or the Holy Spirit, the judgment seat of Christ. And so, uh, all of us are going to stand. All of us. So, it's good. It's important to know that a day is coming when you're going to stand before Jesus. Now, uh, maybe further in my study, we won't get to tonight, there's, there's, there's different judgment seats. There's something called the Great White Throne Judgment. You read about that in the book of Revelation, and when you read that, you get scared because not too many people pass that judgment, and they get thrown to hell after that. We as Christians will never face the great white throne judgment. Thank God that all creation will give account to the Creator. We don't give account to our Creator. We give account to our Savior. We've already been judged for heaven. Amen. And so the lost world will be judged and stand before God. And so... Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to get into that, that or not, but um, but here, back to the the Bema seat, that we are to give an account of ourselves. Now, what's that mean? It's very interesting. Again, you know, I, I study Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar. I, You know, we, we, did, we, we took some classes in Bible school that helped you understand certain things, and I, I have... Programs that are worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, helping me to understand Greek meanings and so forth. But the word give account denotes three things. And I found these things very interesting. And the first thing, to give account, means a narrative. A narrative. I mean, a narrative is, is a tale or story will be told. You know whose, whose story is going to be told? Yours. A narrative. When you stand before Jesus, your narrative is going to be told. That infers our life story will be played before us and the master. You know, years ago, there was a show. Now, some young folks will n- don't recall it. This was your life or this is your life. You know, and again, I was very little, but, you know, the... An older generation would know that. What they do, they they would just surprise someone, begin to show events and people in their lives and played it before them. You need to know by the authority of the Bible that is going to happen when you stand before Jesus. Jesus is going to play your life for you and Him to go over it. That's your narrative. Now, in all of my studies, again, we've seen part no one's part. Uh it, it suggests that this will be a private meeting between you and the master. Now, that's that's important to know. Because, you know, I trust Jesus, but I, I don't want you in on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, it, it says we give our account of ourselves, himself to God. So, you know, it, studying this for years, you know, it, it's, thank God it's going to be a private meeting That your life story will be played for you and the master. I wonder what kind of TV they have up there. Uh, You know how that's going to work, but it will. We'll just have to wait to see how that happens. So a story will be told, but also in the Greek, this word "give account" means an evaluation. You know the value as the narrative is being played. Jesus is going to talk to you about your narrative. He, he's going to evaluate or judge your, your narrative. Imagine that, your life story be played, and Jesus said, Did you see that? Did you see this? And talk to you about it. Let's get in silence, room. Now, again, why am I telling this? It's going to happen. I feel sorry when people go to church and they never talk about this. They only talk about how to get blessings and never talk about this. And they live their life selfishly like the church of Laodicea and never realize, oh my God. I'm going to stand and give an account for, for my life. And so, but just imagine your, your life story and Jesus said, pause. I want to talk to you about that. You know, that's very motivating, isn't it? You know, as I was studying this, I'm saying, dear God, Jesus, I, I better get busy for you. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, you know, we, you know, if we teach this Sunday morning, you know, a lot of, thousands thousand people left my church because what I teach is to do. If I teach this, I, I just wipe my church out. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to, you know. But it's in the Bible. It, it is in the Bible. And it's better... I used to say, it's better to hear it from me than heard hear it from him. they be surprised. Oh, my God. Amen. Yes. All right. And the third thing, give him count, means consideration. And that talks about rewards and privileges. After your narrative and his evaluation of your narrative, then comes rewards for your life. And this is, we all are going to stand. Now again, the good news is, this is not whether we get into heaven or not. Thank God we are judged in Christ. But this is talking about our life and service for Him. And, and, and uh, just give an account of our lives, what we did or didn't do for Him. And, and, and that way He can reward us. Now it gets better. Just, just hang on with me. Yeah, I know we, no one likes to talk about going to the principal's office, but you've got to understand, if God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not the life of his own son, but deliver of us. From, you, you think he saved you in order for, for you to come up there and just say, you've been a bad boy and a bad girl. Oh, I'm so miffed at you. Yeah, get in, but uh, I won't talk for you for a while. No. Nah. Who shall separate us from the love of God? You've got to understand all this is done by a loving Savior, yeah. not a harsh God. Amen. Now, now you remember the story that I told you that I was sitting as an associate pastor and some backslidden young man who I was very judgmental and critical and a prophet of God called him up and blessed him and God ministered him, healed him. You know, but when he was called forth, I said, he ain't going to get nothing. God can't bless him. Then God blessed them, and the Holy Ghost said audibly, "See, I'm nothing like you." Yeah. Yeah. And so you got to understand this: God is love, right. and so you know this is like, "Ooh, I'm nervous." This this is love evaluating. This is love commenting your life. And so, uh, when will this judgment seat take place? We know it will. We, we see a little bit about what's going to happen there. When will it take place? The Bible seems to apply it will take place right after the rapture of the church. And not at our death if we die in Christ before he comes. Now, we could be wrong because all the references about this judgment, see, when it talks about a time, he always points to the return of Jesus the rapture of the church when Jesus comes for us now that he could be speaking prophetically uh and and just saying you know uh that when the rapture happens this will take place and then when everyone uh dies a natural death that happens but there's no scripture for that so we're just going to stick with the word we know it will happen and it, it more infers that it'll happen after the rapture, church, meaning the saints that have gone before have not gone through this judgment seat yet. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. We got to get some goodies. I mean, it's been hot and heavy here. Yes. But it's in the Bible. Paul told Timothy in the last days, that people would not endure sound doctrine. Endure. That means some doctrines of the Bible need to be endured. And they won't listen to stuff like this, but they'll gather what? Multiple teachers having itching ears. And how much you can be blessed? How much you can be blessed? How much you can be blessed? Thank God for that. But uh, you, you know you're not going to receive a reward how much you're blessed. Now you'll receive reward how much you did with those blessings. And so the whole counsel of God. Now 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Again the Bible written to a New Testament Christian. Verse 3. But with me, this is Paul speaking, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. Verse 4, for I know nothing by myself or against myself, yet I am not hereby justified. He that judges me is the Lord. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Then shall every man have praise of God. Again, this verse, like all the verses are so full of goodies. If you read it, you might pass it up, but man, you study it, you take it verse by verse, and and, and look at it, it is full of goodies. These verses talk about three different kinds of judgment going on. What are they? One, the judgment of other people. How other people will judge you. Number two, it talks about self-judgment. That's a judgment that the Bible encourages if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And three, the judgment seat of Christ. All three of these things can be found in these verses. And so, in verse 3, it says this, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged, you or man's judgment. The Corinthians were wrongly judging the Apostle Paul. Imagine that. He got them born again, God felt they'll go start the church, and they turned on him. And that happens all the time. Just ask Moses. Just ask Jesus. Dr. Dufresne warned me and says, You know, once you of the picture, everyone will forget about you. Take care of yourself, you know, because someone new will come and, and, and they'll forget about everything you've done. Now, I've, through the years, that's happened. I mean, I've given thousands of dollars and helped people, and, you know, then they go, and once, once they're done with you, they stab you in the back. Do you get hurt offended? I'm caloric, you know. <laughs> you know, it just, but it, it's a sad truth. Some people are devastated out of that, you know. But I, I'm like Paul here, uh, you know. What they think doesn't matter. You, we understand judgment. Judging others is a no-no. We saw that in Romans 14. And so these these Corinthians were judging Paul, and how many know people judge other people? Now, when we, we use the word judgment, we think about it. it we have a certain mindset, but you, you know what? What judgments are? Opinions. Do we see in the world? There's. What is your opinion? What is your opinion about this? If you're wise, you don't have one about anybody, about anything, because an opinion is a judgment. And who art thou to have an opinion about another man? Who art thou to to judge the situation? And so here the Corinthians were judging Paul, and Paul gives us the key of how to handle about, should should we be concerned what other people think? What would Paul say? It's a very small thing what you think of me. Your opinion don't matter. Why? Because he that judges me is the Lord. I'm not going to stand before you. You know, I love something Lester Sumrall said people's heads are no place for my happiness. And so we should not be moved, motivated by what other people think. Because when you're moved and motivated by what other people think, their opinions, they are your Lord and not Jesus. You're trying to please them and fix them all, you know? No. Paul says... I don't care. And I love something Brother Hagan said, my spiritual father. You, you can start a lie that I killed my grandmother. I, I won't even challenge it. You might be, well, bless God, I have my reputation. That's What do people think and say about you? They're not God. They're not your Lord, you know. And you, you, you only stand before Jesus, not before them. And so Paul said, and I love that. Other people's judgment... You, you have the right to think what you think. I'm going to stand before the Lord. You're going to stand before the Lord. You know, I, I want to be in good standing when I stand. Your opinions will get you in trouble with the Lord. All right. Number two, Paul said that he judged himself. Verse four, for I know nothing by or against myself. Hereby I'm not justified, but he judged me the Lord. See, the Corinthians were accusing Paul. They had opinions. And Paul did what every honorable person would do. He would look at their, their judgments and their opinions and, and judge himself, is that true? So there is a balance here. Um, I like this. If one person calls you a mule or donkey, there's another word for that. What do you do? To ignore it. You know, if two people call you a mule, maybe you start looking for tracks. If three people call you a mule, you better buy a harness. Meaning this, that um, if the majority say the same thing over and over, you need to look. We need to look at that. Is there truth to that? And a lot of people are just in denial and say, well, bless God, I'm not talking. Well, is there truth to what you're saying? And so Paul said this, what you say about me, it doesn't affect my, I'm not going to try to please you, but what you bring to me, I, I will judge my heart. I will judge myself. Is your accusation true? And Paul did that. And so Paul judged himself. But this is something very interesting. He said, yet I am not hereby justified. Paul said, I check my conscience. I judge myself. I'm not guilty of any of your accusations. My conscience is clean. I'm endeavoring to please the Lord. But that doesn't mean I'm right or perfect. Why? He that judges me is the Lord. So this is another goodie that you won't hear on Sunday morning. That you may think you have a clear conscience. You may not. Only the Lord could tell you if you have a clear conscience. Because I've often wondered. I've seen people do the some wild things. And, and they would say to me, but my conscience is clean. I, I don't have anything. I want to say, are you saved? <laughs> you, you know, and, uh, you, but that's not my business. That's a matter of a heart. Only the Lord can look at the heart. And so um, the Bible says in his light, we see light. O- only, only the Lord can really know what's in your heart. You can't. Now, we're to, I mean, we're to judge yourself and keep a clean conscience. But even the great apostle Paul, I, I think he knew Jesus. I think he walked honorably and holy, And he said, you know, I've judged myself, but that doesn't mean it's 100 accurate percent. Why? He that judges me is the only Lord can rightly judge a human heart. And what is that? He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Keep your opinions, your judgments away. Until when the Lord comes, So will bring the light to hidden things of darkness, will make manifest the counsel of the heart, that every man shall praise of God. Notice this, don't judge anything until the time. What time is that? The time the Lord comes. Whenever you see the time, it's always a reference to, to the day of the Lord, to the, starting with the rapture of the church. And so he says, he that judges me is the Lord. So he refers to his judgment from the Lord to when? The time. What time? When the Lord comes. Again, what we're showing you is when is the beam of seat going to happen? When the Lord comes, or what we call the rapture church, the term rapture uh, the, the, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but the, the event is found many, many places. We call, call it the rapture because of what it is to be caught away. And so here we again see a little bit more about this judgment seat. It says, Judge not before time, for the Lord comes, who will bring the light, the hidden things of darkness. And will bank manifest the counsel of the heart. And then every man shall have praise of God. Again, we see we're going to give an account of our lives to the Lord. But it tells us three things at the Bema seat. We see it's going to happen when the Lord comes. The first thing it says... Jesus will bring the light, the hidden things of darkness, at the bema seat. When we stand before Him, He's going to bring the light to hidden things dark. What's that mean? Jesus will reveal the things unseen by others and even ourselves. That was Paul was referring to. I know nothing against myself, but I'm not justified. Only the Lord can really see my heart, and that's to bring the light to hidden things of darkness, things unseen. By ourselves, unseen by others. Now, remember, Jesus is a Jesus of love. I mean, oh, this is dear God. I should have went home and watched Netflix. <laughs> I used to think of this always in a negative sense, and it, it can apply. You know, you know, if you're 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 cheating, you're doing things underhandedly, and you're trying to fool everyone, you can't fool the Lord with that. You know, he'll he'll bring that out. But if you're a sincere Christian, you don't want anything that hinders your walk with the Lord. But it also applies in a positive sense. The things you have done that no one else has seen will be seen by him and rewarded. Just a few scriptures. 1 Timothy five twenty four and 25. Some men's sin are open beforehand, going before judgment, and some follow after. What is saying, when pe- people sin, sometimes you see it blatantly, or you may not see it, but it eventually your sin will find you out. But notice this, likewise, the good works of some are made manifest beforehand, and they that otherwise cannot be hid. Remember Jesus said, when you pray, don't pray before people, praying in your closet. Your Father that sees in secret shall reward you openly. When you give your alms, don't say, I'm giving alms, look how much I give. He said, Give, give in secret, and your Father will reward you openly. So, when you're talking about the hidden things of darkness, the things that you do that no one else has seen has been between you and God. You may have kept your mouth shut, you, you may have suffered for doing right, and, and or but all that is going to the Lord sees. Yay. So, everything will be made manifest. Number two, and we'll, we'll have to continue this on next week. Jesus will make manifest the counsels of the heart. That's the second thing it says. What's that mean? The counsel of our heart are our motives. Not only will our works be all exposed, nothing be hidden, it'll be all played, but Jesus will make manifest the counsel of the heart. What is that? Our motives. Not only what we did, but why we do it. Again, this is important, and I'm just so grateful for Brother Hagen. He drilled this into us about the importance of motives, importance of having a right heart, Hebrews 4, 12, you don't need to turn there. For the word of God, Jesus is quick and powerful, sharpened in two-edged sword, piercing, dividing the center of soul and spirit, and joints of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's motives. Neither is there any creature not manifest in sight, but all things are naked, open to him, the eyes of whom we have to do or give an account. Again, another scripture talking about the beam of seat. The word discerners, this is the only place found in the New Testament, this word. It means to see clearly, to judge accurately. What does he see clear? The motives of the heart. The intentions of the heart. And this is so important. Doing, and this is important to know on the test, doing the right thing with the wrong motive will not get rewarded. See, not only will look at works, he'll look at why you did what you did. Brother Hagin would drill us. Always question, why are you doing the things you're doing? You know, you want to sing. You have a beautiful voice, gifted. And you're using your, your, your talent for the Lord. I mean, know that's a wonderful thing. But if you're out there and says, look at me, I'm wonderful. Man, this church is blessed to have me. You know, I sing them better than anyone else. How many of you may be doing the right thing? But the motive is wrong. You know, you know, a lot of times people will come to church and their motive is, I'm just going to stick around because I, I want to pass out business cards and get business. Or I'll work in this department because I really don't want to work because I really want to, I want to be on the platform, and I'm just going to endure my time. See? wrong motives will cancel out your reward do you have chapter and verse for this of course I do Paul said this in first Corinthians 13 3 though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor though I give my body to be burnt if I have not love it profit me nothing notice that give all your money away they may give you a, brand, a bronze statue on earth heavens worthless I mean, we can't, there's no bronze paved on the road, only gold. And so do, giving away all your money will not be rewarded if your, your motive isn't right. Even giving your body to be burnt, we think, man, that's, that's an instant crown. There's a crown for giving your life for Jesus. We'll look at that, not tonight. But um, if you go up there and, and, and hear you're, you're being burnt at the stake. And you're thinking, man, I'm going to get my name in Fox's Book of Martyrs. You, you ought to be doing like I do. You ought, I'm an ideal Christian. Shame on you. You're not doing this. You know, when you get to heaven, you know what Jesus is going to say? Well done. Your body's well done. That's about it. Then you're done, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, and, th- and that's, that's so important. That's why I continually judge my motives. Why do I do what I'm doing? You know, you know why am I minister? Why, why do I want to start? Am I, I trying to draw attention to myself? A, or am I trying to obey the Lord? And these are things that we ought to take to heart. Doing the right thing with wrong motives will not get you rewarded. But doing the wrong things with the right motive will get you mercy. James 2.13, he shall have judgment... Without mercy, that show no mercy, but mercy rejoices against judgment. Have you ever done something wrong, but you're trying to do something right, but it came out wrong? And other people are mad, and you try to explain yourself, they won't accept your explanation, and so forth. And you feel so bad because you you just want to do right, and it turned out wrong. We all have. And you try to explain yourself, but it doesn't do any well. You don't need to do that with the Lord. The Lord knows, I know, you done, but I know your heart. I know your heart was right in this, and you'll have mercy, you'll have grace. And notice what he says, judge, before the time, and we're going to be ending with this last thing here, for tonight. We're going to have to pick up the bema seat next week as well. And he said, then shall every man have praise of God after all of our works, every hidden thing revealed, then God looks at the heart of why we do it. Then we will have praise or commendation of God. That's where he says, well done. This is where the rewards and positions are given. This is so important for the test. It's not just what you do, it will be made manifest. But a key is, you got to make sure what you do is for the right reason. You know, the heart is so important with the Lord. And we ought to all continually judging ourselves on our motives. Because right things with the right motive gets rewarded. Right things with the wrong motives do not get the, rewarded. They do not get the commendation, uh, the, the praise of God. Well, we can go further, but I mean, oh, it's been hot and heavy. But I make no apologies. Because the Bible says I am going to stand before Jesus for all of you. To give and count. And I'm going to tell them, Jesus, I, did, I told them. I told, them this was, I, t- I told them the test is coming. I told them everything that was on the test. Yeah. I did the best as I knew how. I wouldn't want to stand before Jesus. And, you know, there'd be churches, a thousand, a thousand, and, think the Lord, and, and most of the people aren't ready to meet Jesus. They just live their lives, you know, without purpose. And, and you know, I, I want praise of God. I want to please my master. Amen. I want all of us to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He is coming soon. Get ready. Amen. We'll pick this up next week if you can stomach it. <laughs> but just ignoring it or dodging it ain't going to change it. It's coming. It's coming. But again, you, you, can, you can triumph in it. You can triumph in And we're going to see this, this ought to be something you ought to be looking forward to. Be looking, we're going to see that next week. That you have, if you're loving the Lord, this is something you're going to look forward to, not something you dread. It's not like the principle, oh, my goodness, you know, that, oh, now I'm in trouble again. No, this is something you look forward to, and we'll look at that next week. Amen. Father, we're just so grateful and thankful that we can, we can look at these things. Now, Lord, I know this is part of my assignment to get people ready. It's not a very popular message, but it's an important message. And Father, I pray, I know our people know it here. But Father, it needs to, be get, needs to get out to the whole body of Christ. For Master, you are coming. And there's a work that must be done these last days. And you're coming for a glorious church. Without spot, without sin, without wrinkle, without weights. Prepared and ready. Adorned for the coming of the master. And so, Father, we pray these things. Father, that your church will rise up and be ready in the last days. Hmm. Thank you, master. What is that, my master? Let's Let's pray. Drafa to torresku skud torresku natoreskula palato palato. Drefa at torresku skud rambakun andorke palatro pahto torresku. Drey papa nandorresku. Drey pe balomadresu pas Thank you, Master. And if you're here or watching online. And if Jesus were to come right now, and you were to stand before Him, there's only one or two ways the Bible says that you'd be found. You either be confident, or you'll be ashamed. And uh, when when you're in love with the Lord and doing your best endeavoring, you know you're looking forward. Your, your cry is even so, Lord, come. But if you were to come tonight and and you would be honest with yourself and judge yourself, you know, I'd be ashamed. I'm not walking with the Lord. I I haven't been serving the Lord. Right now, we we don't need to give an altar call right now. just, Just ask him to forgive you. Make a consecration, a dedication tonight to serve him. Even though you're struggling in some areas, he will help you. As long as you keep it before him, he will help you. It's so important in these last days. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, there, there's some things rolling in my spirit. Uh mm.